Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. He suggests for breakfast, do a high-protein, high-fat breakfast like eggs, avocado, veggies, or a protein shake. That way you are staying full and you're not having, say, a banana or something that peaks your sugar level and then you crash later. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff and well, follow along Friday. Got Theo Hicks. Theo, hello, sir. How's it going, Joe? It's going well. And today we're going to be talking about three of many lessons that I learned from last week's interviews. As a refresher, I interview all the interview guests on Thursday. So I do a bunch of interviews on Thursdays of every week. And here are just three lessons that I learned from those conversations. And ultimately, the purpose of this episode, unlike, well, all episodes, the purpose is to help you with your real estate endeavors. The purpose of this episode is to just recap some of the things I found really interesting and give you a sneak peek of what's to come for these episodes that have yet to be released, and they will be released over the coming months. So first one, we got Michael Shogren. He's the guy, if you want to learn short-term rentals, he gets in the weeds of how to run a successful short-term rental business. And I've known Michael for maybe four years, three, four years or so. The interview that I did with him, this is the first time I've had him on the podcast, but the interview I did with him, I knew about what he was doing going into the conversation. And I was even more delighted hearing him talk about short-term rentals than I thought I would be. And I had high expectations going into it. Very solid information if you're looking to get in short-term rentals or looking to enhance your income stream from short-term rentals. And here are five tools that he gave us to manage short-term rentals from long distance. 
So if you have short-term rentals that aren't close to you, or if you are planning on buying short-term rentals that are not close to you, or even better, if you have short-term rentals that are close to you, but you want to treat them like a business and you want to put in a process so that you don't have to do the work yourself, then here are five tools that he gave us. He gave us a bunch of information during the interview, but here are five tools he gave us to help you manage your short-term rentals effectively. One, ring security camera. He says he uses the ring security camera so he can see when people are leaving and entering the house. He does not put a security camera inside the house. That is creepy for short-term rental, but outside on the doorbell area, that's where he's got the ring camera. So that's number one. Number two, Wi-Fi locks. So he gives a code to the person renting or the people renting. They have access via that code. That code expires at a certain point in time. And I asked him specifically what company he uses. And he says August home, like the month August home. He says a little pricier, but quality is really good. Three, noise aware. It's an app, but it's also a hardware that plugs into an electrical outlet of your short-term rental property. And he said it looks like a Glade air freshener. So it plugs into there somewhere in the house where you think the noise would likely get really loud, like a living room or outside if there's a hot tub or something and people are partying out there. Just so you are aware of when the noise gets to a certain level or gets past a certain level, a threshold. And then he said he's only had to do it three times where he's reached out to the short-term rental residents and said, I've got a complaint from the neighbors, just as a reminder to please keep it down at a reasonable level. And I asked him, how do you know what level to set it at? And he said, this noise aware app has certain guidelines for how to set it. That's number three. Number four, for pricing your short-term rental, you probably know about this already if you're in the short-term rental business, but he says he uses price labs. Number five, for turnover and cleaning, he uses turnover B&B, and that's for turnover and cleaning, which I imagine is the biggest headache. I don't have any short-term rentals, but I imagine the biggest headache is getting the unit turned over since you're doing it on such a frequent basis. But when you have a service that you're using, then it sounds like it's pretty effective in managing that process. So those are the five tools that Michael Shogren gave us. Michael's website is occupiednow.com. That's occupied, O-C-C-U-P-I-E-D-N-O-W.com. And he's a very, very good resource for short-term rentals if you've got any questions or if you're looking to learn more. Yeah, and then just to add just one thing, we can move on to the next point. The first best ever debate we ever did was with a short-term rental expert, Sue Huela. So if you just go to YouTube and type in best ever debate, one long-term rental versus short-term rental, or I just Google Joe Fairless short-term rental debate, that will come up. It's about an hour long, and we kind of just go back and forth based off of, I think, like five criteria determining what strategy wins out long-term rental versus short-term rental. And I learned a lot from that conversation, so I'm sure you will as well. What's the answer? Which strategy wins out? Like all strategies, it depends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it depends yeah. on what your goals are. It depends on how much time you have. It depends on kind of where you're at in your business plan. Obviously, the biggest difference between the two is the profitability. 
short-term rentals have crazy high rents. If you buy, let's say, a single-family home, you could probably rent out a short-term rental for three or four times more in rent. But obviously, there's also a lot more expenses. Like I think she was saying how management fees can get up to like 20 25% of people that are managing your short-term rental portfolio. So it kind of just depends on what you want to do. Short-term rentals is not something that I personally want to do, but it's definitely a very profitable strategy, especially if you've got something already. Like she was mentioning how she started by converting a garage or a shed in her backyard into a one bedroom and rented that out and made 60 grand a year off of that. And that's kind of how she got into it and then kind of created the whole business around it. Oh, absolutely. What a great way to create income into something that didn't already have income, like your primary residence. And a lot of people wouldn't be okay with renting out your primary residence. And I'm in that category now, but I'm in a different stage in life. Mm -hmm. And before, if I didn't live in New York City during my single days, and if I didn't rent an apartment in New York City, then if I was living, say, in Texas and I had bought a house right out of college and I was living in it, then I'd be all for that because it'd cover my mortgage and then I would basically be having someone else pay for my mortgage and I'd be living mortgage-free. Yeah, it's kind of similar to house hacking. If you don't like house hacking, then you're probably not going to want to rent out a room in your house to someone Airbnb style. Yep. All right. Second thing I want to mention is a gentleman named Nate Palmer, he coaches entrepreneurs to become unstoppable by, and I love this, weaponizing their nutrition and training. He's got a podcast called The Million Dollar Body Podcast, and he's the author of Passport Fitness. You can probably guess what we talked about, that is nutrition and fitness. And the reason why, clearly it's relevant to us as real estate investors and entrepreneurs is we've got to have our body right in order for our mind to be right. We've got to have the energy to sustain all the stuff that comes at us during the day. And what we talked about is nutrition primarily. And my conversation last Thursday, about a week ago, has influenced what I've eaten since last Thursday. So here's what he suggested. And he goes into it in more detail in our interview. I recommend listening to it as well as other things. But he suggests for breakfast, do a high-protein, high-fat breakfast like eggs, avocado, veggies, or a protein shake. That way you are staying full and you're not having, say, a banana or something that peaks your sugar level and then you crash later. And again, I am summarizing it from an amateur's vocabulary and perspective. So all you nutrition people who have studied this a lot, just bear with me. But I know I have the general concept down, but I might use different words that aren't in place that shouldn't be there. So that's breakfast. Lunch is, again, high protein, meats, eggs, lots of vegetables. He suggests eating lighter for lunch, limiting or not even having carbs, as you've noticed, for breakfast or lunch because he says the carbs make you feel more full and you can get more lethargic. So on your salad, stay away from croutons or creamy dressings and instead get like a vinaigrette or an olive oil. And then for dinner, he's like, you know what? Enjoy your dinner. And he said, most people suggest not having carbs for dinner, but it can help you sleep, he says, because it makes you more lethargic and it can actually be a sleep aid. So he suggests for dinner, have a carb, a protein, and a vegetable. 
so what I've changed from my diet for the last week is instead of oatmeal, which I would have for breakfast, I've had a protein shake. And it's a chocolate protein shake, so it's delicious. And you know what, Theo? It's in this mug that you and your wife gave me. <laughs> That's dad, awesome. Dad, the legend mug. I don't drink coffee. And so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this mug whenever he gave it to me. But Colleen, my wife, brought in the shake with the mug. And she's like, well, That's really if, funny. if you're talking to Theo today, tell him. Show him the mug that you're drinking on the mug. So thank you, Theo, for this mug. And thank you, Nate, for the insight. He also said, when you first wake up, have a bunch of water. And I said, I got that box checked, Nate. I have a liter of water with a scoop of wheatgrass every day when I wake up. And he's like, good job, Joe. And I pat myself on the back. So those are his tips. Theo, you used to be in really heavy in CrossFit. You used to be like the golden child of CrossFit. And you're really strong and athletic. So what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, when I saw this in the outline, I was excited to talk about nutrition. I entirely agree with everything he said. The biggest takeaway out of this, for sure, is that you want to realize, and this kind of goes against what we learned growing up, for sure, is the carb question. And again, all this really depends on how much you're actually working out. So if you're working out like a ton, then you're going to eat more carbs than someone who's not necessarily working out at all, or their workout just consists of walking. Because back when I was doing CrossFit, insanely, I did a keto diet. I don't do it now, but I should. I think for just like the normal person, the keto diet's amazing, especially if you're trying to be very efficient with your time because you don't need to eat as much. But I'll go into that in a second. But yeah, you don't want to eat carbs, definitely not for lunch. For breakfast, it's not as big of a deal, but for lunch, you've already been awake for a while. And most people, when they get that one o'clock, two o'clock crash, just because of what they ate for lunch, it's because of all those carbs. And the way carbs work is quick energy up, quick energy down, whereas protein and fat are a lot slower. So it's more of a consistent burn. So a consistent energy. We got this on here. You didn't mention it. For dinner, you want to just in general avoid sugars. Like I was having a conversation with someone last night, how he lost 65 pounds. And literally the only thing he changed was cutting out sugars. He didn't work out. He was very overweight, but he stopped working out. He didn't work out at all. All he did was cut out sugars. Wow. So if you're kind of overweight and you want to lose a large amount of weight and you don't necessarily want to have to work out for an hour a day, if you just cut out sugary drinks, desserts, things like that, you'll be fine. But I did want to mention the keto diet really quick. So it's like a newer fad type diet, I guess. Because people talk about it a lot in the news now, but essentially it's 80% fat, 15% protein, and 5% carbs. And again, as Joe mentioned, I'm not a nutritionist, neither are you. So this is just from what I've researched. But essentially you convert your body from being a carb burner to a fat burner. So rather than burning carbohydrates, so burning glucose, you burn fat, ketones instead. And I did this diet for a month. And again, I was working out an insane amount. So it's not good if you're working out for like three hours a day like I was. But I would literally drink a bulletproof coffee for breakfast, which is just coffee, some sort of oil you buy, butter, heavy cream. I would drink that and I wouldn't eat again until two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I'd have a lunch and then I wouldn't eat again until dinner. And so I could literally work. I woke up to two o'clock without having to stop. And the way that you feel, you feel a lot different. You're very energized. Everything's super clear. It's kind of like a euphoric feeling. Now, I got really sick because I didn't do it properly. If you don't completely convert your body to burning the ketones, then your body's going to keep looking for carbs. And since you're not eating any, you're going to get sick. It's called the keto flu. Plus, the amount I was working out, I needed the actual carbs for those faster workouts. So I stopped doing it. But I've kind of been slowly reintroducing it now just because I remember how good I felt and how energized I was. I'm going to try to find the book before we get off and you start talking again that I read about it. 
that kind of goes over exactly how it works and then you know, why you should do it and then how to actually do it and some things you need to buy, like these little strips you pee on to make sure you've got the ketones in your body and things like that. And just for the record, since this conversation did get into nutrition, my personal belief is eating more plants is always the better approach than anything else. That's my personal belief based on other stuff I've read. I'll have alkalizing your body and having more of a plant-based diet. So that's my belief and that's what I think is the best, like salad over other stuff, like have more greens and then have some meat and then whatever else. But those are my thoughts on it. But everyone's got different stuff and certain things work for certain people. And now I'm in territory that I know not a whole lot about. So I'll move on to real estate. All right, Marco Santarelli. He is an investor who has been on the show multiple times before. And he has a company called Narada Real Estate Investments. They provide turnkey investment properties. If you're on the West Coast, you probably heard of his company, No Marco or No of Marco. I've interviewed him episode 111, 1012, 1425. So those three episodes. And during the most recent conversation, he talked about the three kinds of markets. So I talked to him about how do you find and invest in the best real estate markets? And he talked about, well, best real estate markets is relative to the person who is defining the word best because it's based on what they're looking for and what they need their own portfolio. So he talked about there's three types of markets, one cash flow market, two a growth market, and three a hybrid market. And he gave some examples. He's like, okay, cash flow market, Memphis, Birmingham, growth market, Atlanta, Dallas, hybrid market, Indianapolis, Chicago, Jacksonville. And he said markets shift from one category to the other category over time. And I think it's just important to look at our investments in that way, because even if we're not looking at markets in that way, because even if we're not looking to invest in a turnkey property, it is interesting to look at the way he's categorized it. I did from the perspective of our multifamily investments and we target growth markets with our value-add strategy. And the reason why we target growth markets with our value-add strategy is because those markets are dynamic enough that allow us to get the rent premiums that we're achieving on the renovated units. So that's why Dallas is a growth market. Atlanta is a growth market. We're not in Atlanta personally, but Dallas, we're heavy in Dallas. And the cash flow markets, I would imagine, he didn't mention this, but I would imagine Cincinnati would be a cash flow market that he'd put. He wouldn't put that as a growth market. I know he wouldn't put it as a growth market, and he probably wouldn't put it as a hybrid. So it's probably cash flow. And Ashcroft Capital, we don't buy in Cincinnati, at least not now, even though I live in Cincinnati. And the reason why is because it doesn't have the dynamic fundamentals where Cincinnati's just getting jobs left and right, employers are not flocking to Cincinnati. They're also not leaving Cincinnati, but it's just a steady-as-she-goes market. And as apartment investors, because I know we have a lot of apartment investors who listen to this podcast, take a look at how other people in our industry are defining markets or are investing, because those lessons can certainly be applied to what you're doing as an apartment investor. Because maybe 
if you are going to invest as an apartment investor in a cash flow market like a Memphis or Birmingham or Huntsville, it could work out. However, you're going to need a competitive advantage on the construction front to really make sure that your costs are lower or some sort of overhead is lower than the competition. That way you don't have to get as high of rent premiums and you get a similar spread or you're a long-term holder of those properties and you don't need as high of projected returns over the short term as you would if you were in a different market and had a different set of investors. So it's interesting to think about and I find it interesting to talk to people who are not doing exactly what we're doing, but whose lessons they've learned from doing what they're doing, in this case, turnkey investment properties, can be applicable to apartment investors. Yeah, there are a lot of different market reports out there that do similar categorizations. One I'm looking at right now, and again, these companies bases off their own criteria, but they will categorize markets by expansion, hypersupply, recession, and recovery. So if you want to see, this is a yearly report. So they base it off of vacancy rates, new construction, absorption, employment growth, and the rental growth rate. So kind of similar, a little bit different, but that is the IRR. I think it's Integra Realty Resources publication. So if you just type in Viewpoint Commercial Real Estate Trends Report IRR, that'll come up. I'm not sure if they had their 2019 one created yet or not, but I do know they had the 2018 one at least. And again, it does it based off of hypersupply, expansion, recession, and one other category. Cool. Good stuff. What's that book? Did you find that book? No, I couldn't find it. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like you lost your puppy dog. It was a really good book. You could just find any book on the keto diet. But yeah, as, as Joe mentioned, it's just test out different diets. Whatever works for you works for you. All right. What's next? Trivia question time. So this is the month of the wacky real estate laws. So last week's question was, in Hawaii, it is actually illegal to perform yard work at your home on Sundays. So the question was, what other state has the same law? I can't remember. I think Joe, you said Arkansas. Yeah, I think um, I said Arkansas. The answer was New Mexico. Oh, was not on my radar. The reason why both of these states have this law is in order to reduce conflict between neighbors on Sundays. So that's the justification for that law. This week's question, and I'm realizing I should probably get a little bit more specific on these questions so people <laughs> have a chance of getting them right. <laughs> so what northeastern state? So this is, again, it's going to be a state question, but I'm putting it to the northeast so it's reducing it from 50 to 10 or 15. So what northeastern state has a law that says you are not allowed to have a fence that is taller than six feet? The whole state. The whole entire state. You cannot have a fence that is taller than six feet. I'm going to guess a state that doesn't have a lot of farming because if they do have farming, they're going to have to keep out the wild animals. So now I'll go with Rhode Island. Maybe there's not a lot of farming going on in Rhode Island. I think it's the smallest state. I was just talking to an investor of mine who lives in Rhode Island, and he said it takes 45 minutes to go from one side of the state to the other. That's definitely a very small one. So the first person to get the question correct, either in the comments of the YouTube video below, or if you email info at Joe Fairless, first person to get it correct will get a free copy of our first book. And then lastly, the best ever apartment syndication book review of the week. If you buy the best ever apartment syndication book, leave a review. Not only will you receive 
all of the free resources that come along with the book, but you'll also have the opportunity to have your review read aloud on Fall Long Friday. This week's review comes from Hunter Locke, who said, this book is overflowing with actionable information for investors. For example, some books might say, do a market analysis, leaving the reader feeling like they need to go get a degree in real estate markets to accomplish their goals. Instead, Joe and Thea's books walk you through the process of doing that analysis for yourself. That concept of actionable advice is present in all the subject matter covered and is the main reason I say that this book is a must-have for anyone serious about being in the game. Hunter, thanks for that review. Glad it was helpful. Best ever listeners. Enjoyed our conversation. Hope you got a lot of value from it, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.